announcement. Just that I speechless. Just, yeah. I'm so excited about your tie. There's nothing special about my tie. Just because I dressed up. For the special announcement. That is good news. I really like um, Andrew. We've been able to spend time together through uh, my time of being here, and so I've enjoyed that. What a great song we were just singing. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. And as we open up our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 21, that's what we're going to have as a focus in our passage. So I just changed the title of my message to, Even So Come, Lord Jesus, Come. Luke 28, we've been jumping all over the place, and so you might be a little all over in your thoughts about where we are in Luke. We've just, because of Palm Sunday and Easter and the stewardship series that we tried to do as well, we've just been all over the place. We're actually going to be moving into Palm Sunday material coming up really soon again. But the context that we have here is Jesus is coming toward the end of his earthly ministry. And because of that, the religious leaders are very much opposed to what he's doing. It's, it's finally getting to a breaking point, which we know the story has to come to because they're going to eventually put Jesus on the cross. But Jesus is now preparing his disciples for his departure. He wants them to be ready for the fact that he's going away and he's going to entrust their, his ministry to them. They are now to be the ones that are going to go into the uttermost parts of the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel. And so Jesus is trying to help them get a focus to their lives. This past week, I was coming back from Indianapolis on Wednesday and I got to my gate and I saw that my flight was delayed and so I started doing some quick checking, and I realized that I would still have time to get to Minneapolis to catch my connecting flight, make it back to LAX. And so I was still excited about that, delayed a little bit more. I did some checking. No, I think I can make it. My gates are really close to each other. And then finally, we get onto the plane, and we're flying toward Minneapolis, and then the pilot tells us that our flight's going to be a little bit longer than they anticipated because there's a big storm over Minneapolis. So we go down by Kansas City, from Indianapolis down by Kansas City to get around this storm and we're headed up to Minneapolis and by the time we get there, the storm is still really bad. So we start circling Minneapolis until we start running out of gas. So what we have to do then is go to Sioux Falls. So we land in Sioux Falls and the, the runway is very packed in Sioux Falls. Why? Because there's other planes there getting gas. And so we wait our turn in line to get gas, and then we have to wait for everybody else to take off. And then we finally take off. I realize when I get back to Minneapolis that I'm going to be in trouble, and my flight's going to be no, my flight's going to be in L.A. by the time I get to Minneapolis. But they free up the Wi-Fi so that we can do some checking. I lock in on a flight at 7:08 in the morning, but we finally get to Indianapolis. It was supposed to be just a quick jump to Minneapolis, and then back to LAX. We finally get to Minneapolis, and I'm just tired. I'm tired of the whole thing. And so I get there, and I realize I, the, the seat that I have on the outgoing plane in the morning is just not a good one. I'm trying to make all these arrangements. The line, of course, is forever long because everybody's stuck there. They quit giving out hotel vouchers because all the hotels are full. The hotel said, quit giving them out. There's no place for anyone to come. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I, I just walk through the airport 
and I find me a, a restaurant that's closed, and I slide underneath the little thing that's supposed to keep people out of that, and I find a booth, and I lay down for the night. I get all my stuff set up, you know, here's going to be my little bed for the night, and, and I'm really excited about this. Okay, at least I got a place that's a little soft. Now, the booth's not very wide, so I'm going to have a problem all night long staying on that booth. And of course, I'm always trying to protect my things. I don't trust anybody in the airport in the middle of the night. I always want to be holding on to everything. But I needed my phone charged really bad. So it was important for me to find a plug where I could get all that taken care of. And then I go to the restroom because I, I want to brush my teeth. And I open up my shaving kit and I had this really strange feeling for a moment because in my shaving kit, there was body lotion and hair gel and deodorant and a razor, a hairbrush, all these things that seemed so important to me going on my trip. But now where I was in my life, all I wanted was toothbrush and a toothpaste. That's all I wanted. And I thought about as I started plowing through all these things in the shaving kit, I just thought about how we can just get so many things in life and we can lose our focus for the things that really, really matter to us most. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Your lives are cluttered, disciples. And I'm going to let you know about what's about to come up because I want you to get really focused in the way that you are going to live your life. Jesus wants the disciples to understand this need to get focused and be prepared for everything that's going to lay ahead. We know what that is. There's going to be a lot of persecution up there, not just in the book of Luke, but you can read the book of Acts as well. We see all of this coming, and so we look forward. They want to be prepared to all of this. So let's ask God to help us as we work our way through this text this morning. There is a difficult verse In here, Jesus is going to talk about the end times, and he says, this generation will not pass away until all these things come true. Well, how do we understand that when we know that some of these things haven't come true yet? And so there's a difficulty that we want to work our way through, and I want us to help us understand that. I really have enjoyed working my way through this passage, and I really believe that I have a good way for us to think our way through this passage We want to get all that out of the way, and then we want to focus on what I consider the three exhortations that Jesus is giving to his disciples in this time of trying to get them prepared. So let's pray. Lord, would you help us today as we are opening up your word? Lord, I pray that you would use all the things that I've studied to to really help us have some understanding of this passage. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bring the specific message to bear upon each of our hearts so that we can know you more and live for you more. Lord, we long for that day. We do sing, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. But as we wait, Lord, help us to be the kind of people that you've called us to be. So, Lord, we give this time to you and pray that you would work in it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Luke chapter 21 Verses 5 through 38. I do want to say real quick, have a note to remind myself, today I'm dressed like I like to dress on Sunday morning. Next week, I'm going to be dressed like a specific one of you. A specific one of you. I'm going to dress just like someone out there dresses. 
And then the following week, I'm going to dress the way maybe probably most of you wish I would dress every week. How's that for a nail biter coming up? We'll see what happens with all of that. My wife's probably sitting there saying, what? What in the world? All right, there's a couple of things that I want us to see as we work our way through this passage that I think are important for us to grasp onto. The first one is, I just want us to understand a little bit about what Jesus is doing as he gives us insight into the future. So I've got a couple of items here that I'm hoping are going to help us just a little bit. I'm going to pull these in just a little bit. I'm probably going to knock something over at some point in time. But hopefully these two items will be helpful for us in doing this. But first of all, let's look at the setting. In verses 5 through 7, we see a little bit of the setting. And also in verses 37 to 38, we see a little bit of the setting. I want to begin with verses 37 and 38 because I want to make a point from these two verses. Then we'll go back to verse 5. Look at verse 37, Luke chapter 21. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. And so this is Jesus' habit right now. That's the setting. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's teaching, and then he's going out. So we've got a series of events that are happening in these last chapters. Jesus coming in, going out, coming in, going out. And he's trying to make very clear certain points as he comes to the end of his life. But let's go back up to verse 5. The immediate setting... Of this particular story, Jesus is, was lodging, and now he's come back into town, and he's got some things he wants to say. Verse 5, and while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, When will these things be and what will be the signs when these things are about to take place? In the book of Matthew, we see that that there's an additional question asked. And what will be the sign of your coming? And so here they are. They're looking at this temple. And it was amazing, this particular temple. It, It was to be admired. It was quite the structure. There's a certain historian. His name is Josephus. Perhaps you've heard his name before. He wrote books like The Jewish War and Antiquities. And so you can go back to his histories and you can find information that gives a little bit of a third dimension to what's going on here. What was that temple like? And he gives us a little bit of information about that. And we find that Herod the Great was refurbishing this particular temple. He built new foundation walls and enlarged the temple area to 400 yards by 500 yards, about twice the original size. And so it was quite immaculate. It was an 80-year project. When you see here in verse 5 how it was adorned with noble stones, some of your translations may say beautiful stones, Herod used white marble stones up to 67 feet long 12 feet high and 18 feet wide. I mean, this was amazing the way this structure was put together. It goes on and says, not only adorned with noble stones and offerings, or your particular translation may say votive gifts. These are gifts that decorated the temple. And again, when you look at Josephus, he made this note that the gold flashed in the sun. 
And these are the words he used as snow-clad mountains. Just a bright, shining light, just blinding. Tacticus, who was also a historian, said the temple was immensely opulent. So here they are. They're looking at this temple, and they are simply amazed. And then Jesus ruins the moment, maybe. I mean, they're like, wow, this is awesome. It won't be standing too much longer. I mean, Jesus steps right in there, and he has something that he wants to say about it, and he makes it very clear. As for these things that you are looking at, look at them closely. The days are going to come when not one stone will be laid upon another. We're talking 67 feet long stones. They will not be laid one upon another. There that day is coming. And we do know historically again that that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So about 40 years after this particular time, this temple will be destroyed. And again, Josephus, that historian, writes about the destruction of this particular temple. No doubt this raises their curiosity. I think if we were there, wow! And Jesus says, that's ah, all going to fall apart. What? And so they have a series of questions that they ask Jesus, and Jesus is going to answer their question. When will these things be? What do you mean? Look at this thing. What's going to happen? So Jesus describes that. And so I want to just walk into a little bit about what Jesus describes here. Jesus is focused, focusing in on the future. They're looking at this beautiful temple. Jesus says it's all going to fall apart. Now he's going to look into the future and give them a little bit of understanding about what's going to happen in the future. Now, as Jesus looks at the future, he is considering both the immediate future. That's going to be the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem. But also, he's going to enlarge this. He's going to take it further out and talk about the ultimate future. The coming of the Son of Man, he even talks about in this particular passage. The focus here is going to be on the immediate, though. And I want us to understand that. So, as we understand Old Testament prophecy, and Jesus is of that particular line right now in the things that he's saying looking at the future, oftentimes, we've got two um, items here that I want us to look at. This right here, I want us to think of being the immediate future. And then I want us to be able to look forward to the ultimate future. Now, this right here is the light. The Israel is supposed to be the light. Okay, you get that? To the pagan nations. This right here is the ultimate because this is the globe. This is the big picture of what's going to be happening here. So as Jesus talks to them, His focus is the immediate, but he's going to enlarge this thing out. And Old Testament prophets did this all the time. So with Old Testament prophets, we we can oftentimes use the terminology, the four mountain peaks. And I used this um, illustration once before in here, so let me remind you of it. An Old Testament prophet is addressing this particular situation, but oftentimes he had in mind a future captivity or restoration or also it could be blown out to include messiah or it could actually get to the days of the new heavens and the new earth oftentimes the prophet had no idea how he was just exploding things outward he had no idea the ramifications of what he was saying in fact when you look in the old testament you read some of these prophecies You don't understand all of what it's talking about until you get to the New Testament authors who look back and say, this is what the prophet was talking about. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, we see that in the New Testament. This is what they were saying. Well, did the prophet understand that 
from this particular vantage point, well, probably not. Well, now Jesus knows all things, so that's where the analogy breaks down. I mean, he knows all of what he's saying. But I, what, what I want you to get is that this is Jesus' focus, the immediate. He's going to talk about these things, but he's really focused in on the immediate. And so we've got the immediate and the ultimate. And Jesus, in verses um, 8 all the way down through towards the end of the chapter, he's going to talk about the immediate and the ultimate in two cycles. Two cycles he's going to use. He's going to, in the first cycle, immediate, ultimate. And then he's going to have a second cycle, immediate, ultimate. So let's think about that for just a moment. The first cycle is found in verses 7 through 11. So Jesus has some things he wants to say to them. Um, Teacher, when will these things be? Now notice verse 8. He said to them, see that you are not led astray. Remember, he's focused on the immediate, the disciples right now. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. In these things, for these things must first take place. But the end, see now he's already looking at the ultimate, the end will not be all at once. In other words, when, when, when these things are happening, it doesn't mean that right away we're going to be here. It's not going to be all at once. There's going to be time that goes by. And Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples for all of this. And he's also trying to prepare us for all of this. And so he says in verse 8, there's going to be false claims about Messiah. In verse 9, there's going to be social chaos. There's going to be wars, different kind of tumult that's after there. But the end will not be at once. Time is going to pass by. But he continues on. Now, here's where Jesus is going to explode it out to the ultimate, to the bigger picture of what's going on, verses 10 and 11. Then he said to them, at the immediate, but now he's going to say to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now notice verse 12, but before all this, See, now he's going to go back to the immediate. So the first cycle is, disciples, this is going to happen. People are going to try to lead you away. Don't listen to them. And there's going to be different kind of stressors that are there. But then there's going to be something big that happens, these earthquakes and all these kind of things that are going to be having great signs from heaven. But now he goes to the second cycle. And he wants to get back to the immediate in verse 12. And so he focuses on the immediate first. Look at verse 12. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom. He makes the same promise to Moses so many years ago. I'll be with your mouth. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance you will gain your lives. Jesus is saying, 
I'm going to be watching out for you. I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, you're safe with me. There's going to be persecution, even martyrdom that's going to take place. And all these things that Jesus is referencing in this second cycle with the immediate in verses 12 through 19, some of these things still continue on today as we await this ultimate day. It's not going to happen all at once. And so these things that the disciples were up against, and you can read about them in the book of Acts, they continue on even to this day where people are being persecuted for the name of Jesus. And we have things going on around our world where Satan, the seed of that serpent back in Genesis chapter 3, opposes the seed of the woman, the Messiah who's come, phase one, is going to come back again. And so there's still clashes throughout time. And so some of these difficulties continue on. Even martyrdom continues on today. And Jesus says the persecution is going to intensify. Look at verse 20. It's even going to get bigger than that. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, now we're still in the immediate When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its destruction has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jesus says, there's going to be some stuff that happens to you. And it's going to get really bad. It's going to get really bad. And again, when you go to people like Josephus, you can learn that 1.1 million Jews died during this time. 97,000 were taken captive. It got so bad as those armies surrounded Jerusalem that children were cooked for food. Jesus says, this is going to get really bad. Some of you are going to die, but something's going to happen to Jerusalem as well. But all of that is in the immediate And so what we see that Luke and Jesus, Jesus is using this destruction of Jerusalem as a foreshadowing of a greater destruction that's going to take place. Judgment begins with the household of God. He's going to deal with his people first, but that judgment's going to move. It's not going to happen quickly, but it's going to happen, and he's going to continue that. Now in verse 25, he picks up on the ultimate again. Remember back in verse 11? He had, been, he had been saying there will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from the heaven. Then he said, but before all this, and he was back in the meeting. Well, now he's going to pick that up again in verse 25. Notice what he says. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. So Jesus is saying, listen, it's gonna get really bad for you disciples. It's not gonna happen all at once. 
but something else is going to happen out there in the future and the Son of Man is going to come. And when you see all that coming, your redemption is finally here. The seed of the woman is finally going to fully crush the head of that dreadful seed of the serpent, doing away with death, sin, and we will then have eternal life and be with him. Jesus is clear that an end is coming. Even using terms like son of man from Daniel chapter 9. There's so much Old Testament imagery found in these verses. And there's going to be certain immediate events. False claims and all the chaos, natural disasters, even martyrdom. But it's all going to lead up to an ultimate event. And the order of events and... What applies to whom? It's just not the major point of Jesus. He he wants to prepare the disciples. That's his major focus. So this morning, we're not going to go to lots of other passages and say, Jesus is talking about this here, talking about that there. Just want you to get Jesus is trying to prepare him for this, but he's exploding this because there's something way bigger that's going to happen one day. Now, in this passage, though, there is a problematic verse. Look at verse 32. Because we could go on down through this passage. I'm going to reserve some of these verses for later. But verse 32, he says, 32, he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. And so you can go to commentaries. You imagine they have a lot of things to say about this. How do you handle Jesus talking with the disciples saying that? This generation is not going to pass away until all these things take place. We know that these ultimate things have not taken place. In fact, they are still future to us. And we know the disciples are dead. They were even martyred. So how do we understand this? They didn't see these things take place. They're still future to us. Well, let me try to help us understand that. Then I want to get to Jesus' three exhortations. I want us to think in terms, again, as we've already noted in Jesus' mind, We've got the immediate and the ultimate, and Jesus' focus is the immediate. That's where we're going to see his three exhortations. That's what his focus is. Now look at verse 7. When Jesus tells them that the temple is going to be destroyed, watch what they say. Teacher, when will these things be? And I'm going to focus on the word these things in this chapter. When will these things be? Talking about what? The destruction of the temple the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus then in verse nine says, and when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And so Jesus again is trying to focus in on that immediate. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus is gonna expand it to the more ultimate picture of the end times, but still his focus is the immediate, the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, so he returns to his focus in verse 12. He goes back again. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you. And so Jesus wants to maintain that immediate focus. And so in verse 12 to 24, he really focuses on that. But then look what happens in verse 25 to 27. He expands again on the ultimate. And then in verse 28, what does he say? Verse 28, now when these things begin. So again, we got this big picture the immediate and the ultimate, when they begin to take place. Again, Jesus is focused on the very immediate with the disciples. Again, it brings us back to this question of when will these things be? Well, when these things begin to take place, Jesus is trying to keep them focused on that. Again, in verse 31, 
we again see that, that same focus. Jesus is going to give a, a lesson from the fig tree. When they give leaves, you know something is happening. But in verse 31, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that something is about to happen. Jesus brings that focus back to the immediate. And then that's when we get to verse 32, where Jesus says, but truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. And Jesus is trying to keep them focused on that immediate, these things. You've asked the question, when will these things be? I've given you the answer and I'm telling you right now, this generation will not pass away until this has taken place. All this has taken place. But Jesus full well understands that he's exploded these things out. Things that are going to take time to get to. These things are going to be out there. But disciples, you will be there when this temple is destroyed. You will be there when Jerusalem is destroyed. This generation is not going to pass away before those things take place. So in verse 36, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. So not only is Jesus talking about the disciples here, but he's expanded this out to all of us as well. For us to be paying attention to watching these things, knowing that God is up to something, knowing that all of this is going somewhere. And we may see the futility of this world and we may see all the things that we ourselves personally might be up against, but Jesus is saying, you gotta pay attention because these things right here are gonna lead to more things and I want you to be ready for this. Because we're really in that same vein as the disciples because we're still looking forward to this. But here's one thing we can do. We can look back and say, Jesus said these things are going to take place. And we can look at that and say, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. Therefore, all the things that still are ahead, they will take place. This is going to happen and Jesus wants us to be ready. But how does he want us to keep us to be ready? Let's look at what he says to the disciples. I just want to quickly pull out a few points uh, from these verses. There are three exhortations that Jesus gives us here. He offers them to the disciples to prepare them for this immediate time. People are going to come. And they're going to claim to be the one. And Jesus has something to say about that. So he has an exhortation to be wise in verses 8 and 9. That's the first exhortation, to be wise. He said, verse 8, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and tumults, don't be afraid, for these things must take place. But the end will not be at once. So don't be tricked by these kind of things. And listen, do I even need to go there this morning? How many of these have we seen even recently? I am he. The end is at hand. Prepare yourself. I mean, how many of these we've seen throughout history? How might this apply to our lives? I mean, maybe we've never been a following of any of those. We didn't go up to the mountaintop, look at the stars and wait for Jesus to come back on a particular day. Maybe we've never been led astray by any of those things. But how might this apply to us? Let me give you an application for us. We can have tendencies 
to gravitate to new ideas or something different. We can have a tendency to gravitate to new ideas or something, some, something different. Jesus makes it clear there's going to be no misunderstanding about when he is coming back. You're going to see all this stuff, signs in the heavens. It's going to be clear. It will be preceded even by a tribulation, we know from the rest of Scripture. He also makes it clear there's going to be some kind of interval. It's not going to happen at once. Why? Because 2 Peter 3 tells us God is patient. He's not willing that any should perish. But along the way, as we wait that day, we can gravitate to new ideas and things that are different. When the call on the Christian life is really rather simple. The words of Jesus to the disciples on the mount before he left were, and you will be my witnesses. The call on disciples is rather simple. But the church can oftentimes make it complex. And we jump on the next bandwagon, the next video series that's going to recharge your church and, you know, the purpose-driven life or church or whatever it might be. What is the blank that people jump in on board and they get excited about? It's a wave that goes through churchdom. Everybody jumps on the bandwagon. We love the next new theological idea that's out there, cutting-edge ideas about church growth. Let's try this. Everyone bring a friend day. That'll get us excited. And all of these things can be good. I'm, I'm not trying to say how stupid for churches to be doing these kind of things. But if those kind of things distract us from really what we're all about, which is proclaiming the name of Jesus, it's just not that complicated. So what does it mean for us to go out of here today and be the church. It means that we intentionally share Jesus with others. And this is not some kind of guilt trip. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, it's been five years since I shared Christ with someone. But that is something for you to think about. The mission of the church is rather simple. I love the hymn. I love to tell the story. The words, I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, it will be the old, old story I have loved so long. That's really what it boils down to. We don't want to be just moving to the next fad and going here, going there. Jesus wants the disciples to keep it simple. Tell people about me. People need to hear. They're going to spend eternity in hell if they don't. Tell them the good news. Tell them the old, old story. So Jesus gives them an exhortation to be wise. Don't get caught up in all the frills. Stay focused. But Jesus also gives them an exhortation to stay focused. In verses 12 through 19, 
But before all this, all this climactic stuff, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. And Jesus gives an exhortation to be faithful. To keep on walking the path of life in a way that honors him. And not all of us are going to suffer. And maybe the kind of suffering we see around the globe right now won't even reach us. I don't know. But suffering and persecution is going to get the best of them. And arguably, all the disciples, save one, die a martyr. And even that was John, exiled on Patmos and all the the gross stuff that he had to experience. They're going to go through a lot. The persecution the disciples were about to face, especially in Jesus' absence, are huge compared to what we experience in the USA. And there are people around the world who are still experiencing this. I wear two bracelets reminding me, and I could get off on this and talk 20 minutes about the struggles that people are having around the world. But I want to stay focused here. Jesus is saying, disciples, you guys are going to be up against it. But I want you to stay faithful. Look at verse 19. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Perseverance in the New Testament is a huge principle. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. I want you to be faithful. In Luke 12, 19, when we saw the parable um, of the rich man and, and his, in his barns, I think there we might have our biggest issue. Persecution is not what we're up against. In the United States of America, in the church in the United States of America, maybe what we're up against is not persecution. Maybe we're up against prosperity. Maybe it's not persecution that's causing us to shrink back. Maybe it's prosperity. And all that we have that keeps us from being faithful and following Jesus. Imagine Satan's conniving. How can I get people to turn away from Jesus? I will make them feel pain. Or I will give them pleasures galore. And maybe that's where we're at in the United States of America. It's much more the prosperity side of things. And so the rich man who built his bigger barns and says to his soul, take your ease and be merry. And the message comes to him, you fool, for tonight you die. And Jesus says, listen, disciples, don't be a fool. Endure, make it through this. Don't let persecution lead you away from the Lord. And maybe for the church in America, don't let prosperity. Don't let prosperity lead you away from the Lord. You see, the issue for us is to get lazy in the focus of our living. We have so many things that can distract us. I was reading an article recently in Christianity Today, and it was entitled, Radical Islam is Not the Nigerian Church's Greatest Threat. And you've probably all heard about Boko Haram. By the way, I got an email yesterday from Nigeria that a number, I haven't seen it in the news yet, but a number of the girls that were taken by Boko Haram a few years back have been released. Just recently, just this past week is what my friend Bella was telling me. But radical Islam is just hurting them so much in Nigeria. But he says radical Islam is not Nigerian church's greatest threat. Listen to his conclusion to the article. He says, the fear of an Islamization agenda is very real. 
But it must not be allowed to distract us from our primary concern, Christ-likeness, holy living, hard work, and moral integrity. If we're concerned about the spread of Islam, let us be equally concerned about the lack of Christian public integrity and witness in our society. We must not allow fear-mongering and conspiracy theories to prevent us from recognizing the true threat. Now, in Nigeria, in the church, and even around the world, there's so much corruption within the church. That is his focus. But here, for us, maybe it's prosperity that is what we need to really look honestly at and make sure it's not leading us away. We can get caught up in the wrong things. So, but maybe we do need to step back and ask, why are we not suffering persecution? We live in a world, a culture in the United States of America that is anti-Christ. Why are we not suffering persecution? Is it because we take the easy path, what Jesus calls the wide road that leads to destruction? Do we put more emphasis on our prosperity and getting more, building bigger barns than on taking up our cross? These are tough questions that all of us have to ask, but Jesus forces us to ask these questions. He forces us. He says, listen, disciples, if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. And the end's not going to come quick. This persecution's just going to continue on throughout the years. But what's so interesting in this passage is where Jesus says, don't even meditate ahead of time about what you're going to say. I'm going to put the words in your mouth. And I want to just pull one principle back from that. Whatever it is that God calls us to do, he will equip us to do. And so for whatever it means for us to stand up and boldly be a Christian to the world around us, Jesus says, I'll give you what you need. I'll give that to you. If it's words you need, I'll give it. If it's courage you need, I'll give it. If it's boldness you need, I'll give it. Just submit yourself to me and live underneath the rule and reign of Jesus. And I will be with you. But there's one more exhortation that Jesus gives his disciples. The, we've seen the exhortation to be wise, the exhortation to be faithful, and now the final exhortation to be alert. In verses 29 to 36, he's talked about the immediate. He's talked about the ultimate. And then he tells them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that summer's already near. So also, when you see these things, and I've tried to establish the fact, the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And so from this time on, until even now where we stand right here, that nearness is to be taught. We're all to experience that. Don't let the days going by lead you to believe that it's not near. Jesus says, when you see these things, it's near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city, all those things he said earlier, you know, Jesus is trying to say, these things You've got to pay attention to these things. You know the kingdom of God is near. But then he goes on and says, but I say to you, this generation is not going to pass away till all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And here's his exhortation. But watch yourselves, 
lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Disciples, listen, I'm telling you right now, it's going to get bad. He doesn't say, and you're going to eat your babies. But Josephus lets us know that happened. It's going to get bad. But you need to pray. You need to stay alert. You need to know that these things are going to lead to something. Something else is out there. The Son of Man is going to come back. And you need to make sure that you endure and stay alert and stay the course so that when he comes, you can stand before him. All these things are going to happen. But you need to be alert. What's it for us? We could go to the parable of the sower. We looked at that back when I started. We were back in Luke 8. And the cares of this world, the riches, the difficulties that lead people away. And Jesus is saying, no, you, you just you hang in there. You stay with this. Don't you give up on this thing. You stay with it. You continue to be alert. What is it for us? Just like the parable of the sower says, the tendencies to be lulled into the course of this world. To take our values from the culture around us. To make our priorities the culture around us. Rather than keeping our eyes on Jesus and continuing to look to him. Continuing to look to his word for how we're to live our lives. Living underneath his rule and reign in our lives. We can get lulled into the course of this world and lose sight of his soon return. We settle down. We settle in. And we lose sight of Jesus. But ultimately, Jesus' return is the reason for our living. And so we have to keep our eyes on that. We, when every we take the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. We proclaim his death until he comes. A few weeks back when Robert was preaching, he used this line, live this day in light of that day. And so there's been a lot of days that have gone by, and I think Jesus could say that to disciples, live this day right here in light of that day. And time goes by, and days go by, and days go by, and now it's us. And his words would be the same, be alert, live this day right here in light of that day that is coming. One of the things I've enjoyed about being an interim here is seeing your lives in hearing your stories. And I know that there are so many in this room who, when Jesus says, be wise, you are being wise. And when Jesus says, be faithful, you are being faithful. And when Jesus says, be alert, you are being alert. And your lives are a testimony to me and I'm, I'm grateful for that but for all of us on this day we sit before this passage and the Lord wants to say something to us to each one of us about what it means to be wise what it means to be faithful what it means to be alert so let's pray and let's ask God to teach us what, what is that Lord what is it you want each of us 
to hear from this passage? What is it you want to teach us about being wise in our tendencies to be drawn away by new things and different things and jump on the bandwagon? Lord, what is it that you want to teach us about faithfulness? We get lazy in the focus of our living. Maybe it's prosperity that just gets a hold of us. Lord, what is it you want to teach us about being alert? We can be lulled into the course of this world and miss out on what you're doing. Lord, we praise your name for telling us ahead of time what's going to take place. So Lord, we see the leaves on the fig tree and I pray that you will help us to straighten up Be on the alert, knowing that our redemption draws nigh. Lord, help us with that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.